You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome. It's so great to be with you today. You are such a gift and a blessing, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. We actually were all prepped and cued to have a recap of the Mosaic Block Party. However, what happened happened every time we scheduled this block party or outdoor event or Mosaic Olympics, we sort of a little joke here internally uh, with our staff, if you want to guarantee that it's going to rain... Just schedule an event for Mosaic in May. But the good news is, it's still happening today in our parking lot from 3 to 6 p.m. And even if you couldn't make it yesterday, you can still make it today online. We'd love to have you there. You can just go online and register. And if you got plans, you can totally break them and come and be here with us today. I stole that from my friend Peter Dusan. You'll actually hear from him a bit next week. But hey, let's continue on in our series. We're going to be here in the Gospel of Luke and Scripture reading here is going to be on your screen. I'll be your reader. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John And James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and flashed like lightning. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Yeah. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? That's what we're looking at in this series. What does it mean? Not just through a hashtag. You know, we live in a world of hashtags where we follow through like subscribe and likes. Or through thumbs up emojis or clicking that online bell or whatever. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Not in a come and go, here and gone tomorrow, kind of like I'm out if you don't post that blog in time for me kind of following. But the kind of following Jesus himself talked about repeatedly and calls people into. 
Well, that's what we're looking at, trying to look at and see through the lens of the life of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' first followers. And today we see Peter experience, we just read it, something incredible, something mystical, something supernatural. It was actually something that Peter, decades later, at the end of his life, shortly before he was martyred by the Roman emperor Nero and Nero's circus, that Peter named this experience in one of his letters as the most compelling reason for why he believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God. And that experience took place, it's called the transfiguration, took place, we're gonna look at it, when Peter followed Jesus, not just out on a boat or the water or on a rock, but when he followed him up a mountain, a mountain. You know, ancient cultures and religions, mountains, mountaintops, they played a big role, they were a big deal. Mountains or high places, were locations where humans and the divine intersected. That's what people believed. The thought being, the higher you climbed. The more steps that you took, the closer to the gods that you got. And therefore, the odds of you getting your prayer answered, your crops growing, your enemies being defeated, you had better odds for your prayers getting answered. But cutting across all those superstitions was, of course, the Jewish faith, which recognized that the one true God was omnipresent, like you could meet him anywhere, like, say, in a tent, in the desert, you know. So the Jewish songwriters wrote stuff like this, like Psalm 121, to sort of speak to a little bit taunt (laughs) the mentalities of pagan polytheistic cultures. They wrote stuff like this, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills as in, I'm looking at all those places that gods are supposed to live. And they ask the question, well, where does my help come from? My help, wait for it, wait for it, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth and all the mountains. As in the rest of y'all can keep your mountains. The rest of y'all can keep your hilltops. I'll take the one who made the mountains, the one who made the hilltops. The Jews never said that the mountains could save them. They did say the one who made the mountains could. And yet, and yet, while the people of God always acknowledge that their help was not in the mountains and they could meet God anywhere, nevertheless, mountains, mountaintops played a big role in the stories of how God moved in their history. It's called redemptive history. And today, Peter, oh, he follows in the footsteps of people like Moses and Elijah. And he follows Jesus up this mountain, most likely Mount Tabor, the place actually where Deborah and Barak fought that little battle against Sisera, if you know that story. And Peter has a life-changing experience with the one who made the mountains. So what does it mean to follow Jesus this week, class? This time... Up a mountain, what does it mean to follow Jesus? To follow him means these three things in this passage. We're going to see him in turn. Number one, it means we go with strange people. It's our value of community. Number two, we remember an ancient journey. It's our mosaic value of worship. And finally, we listen to a singular voice. It's our value here of mission. We go with strange people. While we do, we remember an ancient journey. We go out in the world listening to a singular voice. Let's look at these all from the gospel of Luke. Here we go. Number one, it means we go with strange people. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Who does it say that Jesus took? Come on, say it with me. Peter, what? And John 
And James, yeah. Back in the in the year 2000 on a Saturday afternoon in Chicago, some unsuspecting moviegoers showed up at a movie theater. You remember what a movie theater is, don't you? It's this place where you go, you sit, you watch a film. Yeah. Some unsuspecting moviegoers showed up to catch the 105 p.m. showing of a Mel Gibson movie called Payback. If you missed it, you didn't miss much. They were handed, however, a soft drink and a free bucket of popcorn, all right? And they were asked to stick around afterwards to answer some questions about the concession stand. They actually were unwitting participants in a fascinating study into human behavior. There were two elements to this study. First was the popcorn. The popcorn was terrible. It was wretched tasting, and it was made that way on purpose. It had actually been popped five days before this. It was left to be so stale that it squeaked when you ate it. One, one moviegoer later in the study compared it to eating styrofoam packing peanuts. And two people in the study, forgetting that they had gotten it for free, went to the concession stand and demanded their money back. The second element in the study was the bucket. Everybody say the bucket. Actually, let's say like a real Southern, the bucket, the bucket. Some of the moviegoers got their free popcorn in a medium-sized bucket, while others got the large bucket. You know the large bucket, the one that's like the above-ground pool-sized bucket? Every person got a bucket so there'd be no need to share on purpose. The study was after one question. Here it is. Would the people with the bigger buckets eat more? Now, both buckets were so big that none of the moviegoers could possibly finish them. So the actual question was a bit more specific, and here it is. Would someone with a larger inexhaustible supply of popcorn eat more than someone with this smaller inexhaustible supply? These are the things psychologists study, see. But I actually, I'm going somewhere with this, as you might imagine. Now, the researchers, they weighed the buckets before and after, so they knew precisely how much each person in the study ate. The results were stunning. Here it is. People with the larger buckets ate 53% more popcorn. That's 21 more massive handfuls of butter, salt, artery-clogging stale popcorn than the folks with the smaller buckets. Now, Dr. Brian Wozniak from Cornell University, author of the study, said this about the results. Quote, we've run other popcorn studies and the results were always the same. However, we tweaked the details. It didn't matter if our moviegoers were in Pennsylvania, Illinois, Iowa. It didn't matter what kind of movie was showing. All our popcorn studies led to the same conclusion. People eat more when you give them a bigger bucket, period. Now, Here's the best part. The best part of this whole deal is this. The moviegoers, literally, they would not believe the results. They challenged them. Afterward, they were told about the study, and they were asked, do you think you ate more because of the larger size bucket? Most of them scoffed at it. They said stuff like this. Things like that don't trick me. I'm pretty good at knowing when I'm full. No way the bucket had anything to do with it. Again, they had researchers from Cornell University, no less, set up the experiment. They had their buckets weighed before, weighed after. Every other factor was equalized, and yet they still resisted the results. And it was only, finally, in the face of clear and persistent evidence, they finally accepted the results. You ate more because you got a bigger bucket. Now, there are a number of conclusions you could draw from this. I want to focus it on one for us today. And here it is. You'll never know who you are until someone else shows you. Someone else shows you. You will never know who you really are until someone else shows you. 
most of us, most of the time, myself included, 100%, like these moviegoers, we can't be told our flaws. You can't. Like, you're this, so you change. That doesn't happen. We can't be told our flaws. We must be shown our flaws. Morgan, you ate too much popcorn. No, I didn't. You actually ate 53% more than they did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Says who? The PhDs with your empty bucket and a scale. Oh, what does all this have to do with us? What does it have to do with community? It's this. We all come into life. We all come into church. We all come into especially a diverse church environment thinking we live, we eat, we act in a certain way. And that certain way is this. We don't just think we are normal. We think we are right. Right. Just like those disciples thought they were right. And to break that illusion, which Christian theology would say is actually the result of the sin nature, the preponderance, the the propensity to think that I'm right all the time, to break that illusion. Oh, we are on the way in while we're on the way in while we are on the way into God's little movie theater called life on the way in God hands us buckets of popcorn. They're called other people. And those buckets will not just tell you, they will show you way more about you than you could ever know on your own. And what we do with those buckets God hands us essentially reveals who we really are. You think today, you're just eating popcorn, right? In a church, like I'm munching on the sermon. Tastes kind of stale today, Morgan, by the way. You're munching on the worship, munching on the free coffee on the way in children's ministry. You thought it was all for you. You just didn't know it was designed behind the scenes to show you who you really are. Some of us, we might have some anger issues, like we get angry about everything. Some of us might be prejudiced, like I'm cool with those people, that people group, as long as they think like me, dress like me act like me. Some of us might act uh like perpetual victims. Like everything everyone says is just designed to hurt us. But that can't possibly be true. Hear me. As long as you're by yourself, maybe trying to follow Jesus all by yourself, you can live with the illusion that you most certainly do not have a problem and you did not eat 53% more popcorn. But the buckets, the buckets don't lie. Many of us do, I think, I do, want to follow Jesus. Many of us, we say we want to be changed. We sing songs, right? But what Jesus does right here to Peter and John and James is the thing we fear the most. Oh, he calls us to go up on the mountain with the people he chooses for our lives. In other words, people, maybe even strange people, maybe even a strange community is the primary means of discipleship in our life. People, when I suggest you today, oh, they're the number one play in God's playbook to make you more like him. When he, when he, uh, when he wants a touchdown in your life, he calls on that people play. You want some victory in your life. He calls a saint in from the sidelines to cover you. See, Peter didn't just need Jesus to follow Jesus. Peter needed a James and a John to follow Jesus. You said, Morgan, Morgan, oh, what, the, what the people in the parking lot said to me today. That offended me. I know. Morgan, there was that bumper sticker from that other political candidate in the parking lot. You know, the one that real Christians would never vote for. 
Morgan, there was that insensitive social media post that person made. I know. Morgan, what that person said in my community group made me real mad. Morgan, it's like these people who say they're loving me are loving me way less like I like to be loved, which is like the Michelin man and the Charmin bears from the commercial. Fluffy and soft. Morgan, it feels like people are more like way more like Edward Scissorhands. You know, like, come here, brother. Come here, sister. You know, that's a Gen X reference. That's why no one laughed right there. That's all right. I'm sorry to be the one to deliver the mail, rather the popcorn. Disciples of Jesus never make it to the mountaintop by themselves. They don't. And if these disciples right here, if they would have said, no, Jesus, I'm not going with them. Jesus, I'm not hanging out with my small group. I'm not going to go with those people sitting behind me in church who forgot my name again today. That never happens, right? Jesus, I'm tired of Peter's big mouth. Jesus, I'm tired of uh, you know, James's mom trying to like get him playing time with you, Jesus. Remember that one? Jesus, I'm sick of John calling down fire from heaven like revenge on his enemies. What a jerk, you know. If they had stumbled at Jesus's choice for the people in their lives, they would have missed the greatest moment on earth Jesus ever showed another human being. I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, if you say Jesus is Lord of my life at a certain level, you don't get to choose who your people are. You don't get to take your relational ball, go home and stay home. Just don't. Jesus chooses your strange community for you just like he did with these three. And he says, follow me up a mountain. I've got something to show you. So somebody here, you know, somebody say, Lord, thank you for my buckets today. <laughs> okay. Yes, I actually mean that right now. Someone say, as in, let's all say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for my buckets today. Matter of fact, you could just text someone and say, you're my favorite bucket. My all-time favorite bucket. So number one, number one, to follow Jesus, like Peter, we go with strange people. Strange people. Now, while we're doing that, while we are on the way, while we're going up the mountain with the people Jesus chooses for us, what do we do next? Number two, while we're doing this, while we're in community, number two, We remember an ancient journey. What does this mean? All right. What happens when they actually get to the top? Now, I'm going to teach slash preach this for a few minutes. I might get excited, so just hang on. I really, really like this part. All right. What happens next? Well, there's a mountain, right? There's lightning. There's clouds. There's what? The voice of God and glory. Does this sound familiar? It should. If you've been to Sunday school, read your Bible once. This is a purposeful recapitulation of Moses in the Hebrew scriptures up on another mountain, Mount Sinai. The children of Israel, they'd come out of slavery. They were led by what was called the glory cloud. The cloud was the physical manifestation of the presence of God on earth. It led the Israelites. It protected the Israelites. It came down on Mount Sinai while Moses went up to meet with God. Moses met God and went up to meet with him. And as the cloud came down on him, He came down with a radiant, shining face. This is sort of like the ultimate sign. Here's a big word for you. Of the transcendence of God. But you'll notice there's a twist, right? When Moses went up, his face shone as the cloud came down. He was kind of like a moon that reflected the light. But here, as Jesus was praying, here's the difference. The cloud doesn't come down. The cloud comes out. The cloud comes out. 
as he is praying, he doesn't receive light on his face. His face becomes the light itself. The lightning, it says this, it isn't coming from the sky. It's coming out of his person. The super brilliant glory, man, special effects 101, right? Is coming out of Jesus for a moment. Oh, Jesus, he's letting the light out of his earth suit. Just unzips it, two buttons down, right? For a moment, he parts the curtain on his power and he gives us a glimpse of who he truly is. That's what the transfiguration is. What does it mean? Two things. First, in case it wasn't clear before, here's what it means. This means Jesus is a supernatural being. He was born supernaturally of a virgin, lived a supernatural life, ultimately raised from the dead supernaturally. And the supernatural person, I'm going to preach to you real good here. All right. He's the source. Come on. Of all true Christian teaching. He is the source of this church. Christianity at its core is a supernatural faith. It's not just teaching, although there's teaching. It's not just truth, although there's truth propositions. It is bathed, centered in the supernatural. And to remove that element is to remove its power, source, and And second, the transfiguration means that Jesus is not just another teacher. Say it all the time. He is the one all true teachers should want to be near. Any other teacher done this? My first grade math teacher did not do this. He's not just another prophet. He's the one all true prophets ought to point to. See, this isn't just a sign of the glory of God like Moses got. This is not something that points to the glory of God like mountains or stars or the hills. No, what we're being shown here is totally different. Jesus is the supernatural final revelation of the person of God. Light, glory, power, electricity streaming out of him in megawatt capacity. Moses and Elijah appear. They represent the law, represent the prophets, all of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And what happens next? What do Peter and his friends do? Again, while he was saying this, Peter running his mouth again, (laughs) a cloud formed, began to overshadow them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. They freak out. They break down. Why? Here's why. It's because every place in the Hebrew scriptures, Peter and James, John, they would have known this, where the glory appears, it's lethal. Lethal for humans. The cattle couldn't touch it. Why? This was supposed to show you there's a gap between people and the divine. And people, by the way, for centuries have understood this. Almost every culture on the planet for all of human history has understood this. If you wanted to get closer to God, closer to the divine, you needed a way to be accepted. Every culture, think about it. You travel, you see the ruins, right? Has produced temples, rituals, transformations of consciousness or something that was put in place to help people cross the chasm from human to the divine. Only we modern Western people have a problem with this. We think that stuff is bunk because we think it ought to be easy to connect with God. We've got a right to get from him what we want right now. And man, God, I prayed that prayer. It didn't happen when I wanted it to happen. So you you don't exist. You know, I shouldn't have to change God. I'm living my truth. You adapt to me. No, listen, not the people from the past who missed it. They missed it some. It's today who we, we miss this at the core. Peter, along with John, 
and James are coming undone because they know what the cloud means. It means their life is over, but then something amazing happens. Or rather, something amazing doesn't happen because they don't die. They live in the cloud. When Moses asked to see God's glory, what did God say? No one can see my face and live. But here, both Peter along with James and John, they see his glory. They see the face of God and they live. Why? Because Jesus is both God and man. He is the glory of God and he is the mediator between people and God. The transfiguration here shows us that Jesus Christ has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. We can never make ourselves perfect, never alter our consciousness. We can never sacrifice enough. And how did he... Make that possible in the end, not for these three in the cloud, but for us. Verse 31 tells us what it's going to take to bring the glory of God into your life and my life. It's church. Moses and Elijah, verse 31, who appearing in glory, were speaking of his, here's the word, departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't come across in English, but here, that word departure in the Greek, it's so beautiful. It's literally the word exodus. Exodus. Moses, to get this, speaking about the exodus on Mount Tamor, you got Moses, the leader of the first exodus, speaking with Jesus, about to become the greater liberator of humanity, the greater exodus himself in his own body by becoming the Passover lamb himself, so that now the spirit and the presence of God can come into your life now. As a follower of Jesus. See, Moses is there to remind Jesus, along with Peter and his friends listening in, of this ancient journey to strengthen Jesus to take the same path once more, only on a cosmic scale. So, why should you follow Jesus? Why should you follow? Why is this? What is this? Here's why. At the moment of his greatest glory and demonstration of supernatural power on the earth, while he's doing this, at that very moment, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you, talking about you, thinking about what it's going to cost him to bring you back, bring you home, right? The greatest being in the history of the world is on top of the mountain, leaking glory all over the place. And he's thinking about his journey to the cross, the staggering price he is going to pay to bring you back. And he did it, didn't he? He went to the cross and he bled and he hung and he died to bring back your heart. And he was resurrected so that you and I could be born again, have the glory of God in our lives. Why wouldn't you want to follow a God like that? Look at who he is, what he's done for you. So church, as we're on the way with one another, as we struggle back and forth to love each other in strange community, as we're munching on the popcorn God hands to us, this is what we do as we go up the mountain. We remember the journey of Jesus. We remember his path to the cross. Remember his sacrifice. Remember his suffering on our behalf for our neighbor made in the image of God. What do we do while we're on the way in community? We worship. We worship. We worship. This whole thing here is a picture of what the church of Jesus ought to be about. Traveling, journeying, ascending the mountain of God in community and worshiping as we go. Finally, 
So what do we do when we come down? What are we going to do when we go back in the parking lot today? What are we going to do? Finally, as we gather maybe here from 3 to 6 p.m. for the Mosaic Block Party. Gather online in our community groups. Gather in person. The church begins to reconnect and people come out from their COVID coma, right? What do we do when we leave a place like this? We just apply what you've heard today with the final thing that Peter heard. Number three. Here's what it means. Here's what we do. We listen now to a singular voice. Singular voice. Final thing Peter hears is this. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Right now, church, like, as in like right now, today, literally this moment in the, in the Middle East, in a nation, uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention because this is being broadcasted and recorded, the global spiritual family we're a part of, every nation, and this certain nation in the Middle East, is three churches. The pastor of each church has been imprisoned. The leader of that nation has made it a capital offense to be a part of any Christian organization that government does not approve. So each of these pastors has been arrested and imprisoned, and before they were arrested, they were given the opportunity to recant their faith in Jesus, which of course totalitarian anti-Jesus governments have been doing for 2,000 years. Recant your faith, you won't go to prison, you won't die, they were told, but of course they wouldn't. They wouldn't recant. They were given the opportunity then to avoid prison and potential death if they would just refuse then to gather with other Christians. Like if you're not going to denounce Jesus, at least don't gather with other Christians. We'll let you go free. Why this request? Here's why. It's because the governments of this world, the kingdoms of this world, do not fear isolated, scattered Christians. They don't. They fear the gathered church. They just do. They fear it when the Peters and the Johns and the Jameses come together, when we're together, because what might happen, what does happen, what has happened for two millennia when we do come together. So these pastors were offered the chance to avoid prison and death if they would just not gather. They said no. Then they were offered a chance to avoid prison. Well, third option, if they would just pay the government (laughs) $5,000. They said no to that as well, mostly because they didn't have it. So they all went to prison. But, but, one of the pastors of the churches was released because she had been doing too good a job of evangelizing in prison. She was so winsome toward her guards, so winsome toward her guards, so loving, so kind. She had so much favor with her prison guards. They actually smuggled in a Bible for her. She led 40 people to Christ in her prison. And when they had, this is... When the, head of the true story, when the head of the prison found out, he released her rather than have her continue to influence the other prisoners in the jail. In another nation, a nation in Asia, known to be hostile, long known to be hostile to the gospel. The government stepped its crackdown, stepped up its crackdown on Christian leaders once again. Many of our leaders in this nation, again in our family of every nation, not limited to us, certainly other churches and, and, and church families too. The government stepped up its crackdown. Uh, our, our every nation family in that nation has used WhatsApp to communicate because it had been private, but it's recently been purchased by Facebook. You may know this. And that nation's government was subsequently given access to the data. And this resulted in our pastors being hunted and imprisoned. One of them, let's call him Johnny, actually he's a friend of mine, the point person for our churches in China. He went missing for several weeks. Of course, we feared the worst. But this past Thursday, I was actually in Phoenix, Arizona with a group of U.S., every nation pastors, while we were praying and worshiping. 
for the church. A text from Johnny popped up on the phone of one of our leaders in the room. Out of the blue after, no, I'll call him Johnny, not his real name. After no contact with him for three weeks, here's what the text said. Hi there. I'm doing fantastic. I figured out how to communicate without being detected. How can you say you're doing fantastic when you're being hunted like a dog by your government? In India, our pastor there, a friend of mine named Kevin, say his name, said that people are suffering there. His report this week, suffering terribly because of COVID. You've probably seen it in the news. Non-existent vaccinations, overwhelmed health care, no ability to social distance there. People dying left and right, other people fleeing. He and his wife and his four children all got COVID. They've all recovered. But this week, here's what his prayer request. He asked for prayer. We would pray for him to remain strong for his church and present for his suffering community there in Mumbai. Why? How can all these Christians act like this? It's because they're all listening to a singular voice. And that voice has said this. Matter of fact, the gospel writer Luke said this was the last thing Jesus said before he took them up the mountain. He takes them up the mountain to reinforce these words right here. Verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me. Like you got to go up the mountain. You got to climb a mountain. He must deny himself. He must forgive his brother or sister. He must go in community. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, addition by Pastor Morgan there. All right. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life. It's the Greek word suke. It means soul. It means seat of your identity. Loses his seat of identity for my sake. He is the one who will save it. For what is a man? What is a woman profit him if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You know what Jesus is doing here with his voice? Here it is. He's not, he's not asking you to offer him a chance to be a part of your life. Make sense? Jesus is offering you the chance to be a part of his. He's offering you the chance to be a part of his kingdom. Maybe you say, Morgan, this feels kind of heavy today. This feels like a yoke. What about that scripture where it says, where Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And Morgan, I thought this Christian thing was supposed to be easy. Oh, I wish that were the case. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German martyr, World War II, wrote a book called Discipleship. <laughs> he put it like this, quote, only the man, only the woman who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unrestingly lets his yoke rest upon him, finds Jesus' burden easy. And under its, look at this, gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. But for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. I want to tell you that is true for pastors in the Middle East. It's true for Christians in Asia. It's true for followers of Christ in India. And this is true for you and me today. Would you say this, Lord? How about this? I want to listen to you. Would you say that with me out loud? Lord, I want to, I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. Lord, would you speak to me? Yeah. God the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. Yeah. How do we follow Jesus? We follow him with others in a strange community. While we do that, we remember who he is. We worship together. And then we listen to his voice and call others to do the same on mission together. Let me take a moment and pray for us. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we acknowledge we need help to do all of this. This command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who resist it. But Lord, we just want to be a people who say yes to you and come under your yoke. 
feel that gentle pressure. Lord, you don't call us into anything that you yourself haven't come into first. You first went to the yoke of the cross. You went to the yoke of the the trial, public shaming, humiliation, the injustice of your accusations. Lord, you went through all of it, through all of those yokes. And yet you were resurrected from all of them to release your glory into our lives and our homes, our children, our church, city, family, community. Lord, I'm asking you would speak to us. We want to hear from you. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.